0: Thanks for tuning into the Life in the Front Office podcast. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And thanks to Suja Organic for their support. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on the life in the front office podcast presented by Sujo Organic. Excited to have my guest on and David Young, COO of the Seattle Seahawks. Excited to talk to David about not only his role at the Seahawks and kind of what does the COO do uh, within an NFL organization, but also how did he get there? What's his journey like? And uh, we'll, we'll talk about kind of where he got started. Love his story. So David, welcome. Thanks, Jake. Appreciate you having me here.
1: Happy to be here and excited to talk to you about my journey and everything else.
0: Absolutely. So let's just start off with where you started. I know you were uh, a Washington Husky, but that first job out of, out of school, Disney, I mean, you can't get too much better than that.
1: No, it was great. You know, I mean, literally part of my job was to ride rides and watch fireworks. So, you know, not much better than that.
0: Did they Fun, always like to see What's that? Did they at least give you free food?
1: No, no free food. Okay. No, not really. But uh, you know, you go out and sneak a churro every once in a while. Um, you know, I always say I've never really had a real job in my life because I, I came out of college and, and my first job was at Disney. Uh, my office was literally in the basement of Cinderella Castle, right, right beneath the castle, one of the most photographed uh, spots in, in the world. Um, and then I went into football and my office was in a stadium and now it's in a, uh, you know, a football practice facility where I overlook a, a football field. So, I mean, it, it, it's been a fortunate and amazing ride and happy to have done it. But yeah, I, you know, my first boss was a mouse and, you know, now I sell hot dogs and, and, uh, you know, work for a football team.
0: So. When, when you were sitting there on, you know, your first day at, at Disney or, you know, your first, end of first year, whatever the case might be, what were you thinking you would end up doing? <laughs> you know, I always
1: thought I'd work there at Disney. I, I thought I'd pursue a career um, at Walt Disney World and with Disney. Um, and to be clear, it was in Orlando, uh, even though I'm from Washington State, um, you know, I worked at Walt Disney World in, in, in Orlando. Um, so I'm, you know, a little different in sports and and a little different in the role I'm in and that uh, I came from theme parks and, you know, themed entertainment uh, and also from operations. You know, It's it's not real common for an ops person to, to, to climb through. It's typically revenue folks, you know, that get into the COO and president roles. Um, so a little different there, although I've learned revenue along the way, you have to, right? That's the mm-hmm. name of our game um, and, and been successful there. But I always thought I'd be at Disney, I loved it there. Um, you know, I was actually pre-med in college and did an internship at Walt Disney World and uh, just fell in love with the company, saw how much I could learn there. Um, and again, like I said, part of the job was to ride rides and, and watch fireworks. What's not to love about that? Um, so, so I switched majors and ended up at, at Disney. Um, coming out of college and just loved it. You know, it was, it was fun every day. It was game day every day to relate it to our business. You know, you've got 30 to 60,000 people coming through each of the four theme parks every single day. So you've got four game days, essentially every single day and all the resort hotels and all the rest of the ancillary mm-hmm. Uh, you know, entertainment and functions that go on there at, at Disney. Um, so it was a great learning experience to kickstart my career. And you know, as, as you all know, as, as most know, Disney is, is synonymous with guest service. They, they have the, the best in business practices, the most efficient operations. And so it's just a really great learning experience that built a foundation for, then when I finally did come back home, um, I was at Disney for about five years out of college came back up here to the Northwest to be a little closer to family and, and, you know, really was fortunate that there was an opening at the Seahawks at that point and uh, got on with the Seahawks and doing a pretty similar, similar role to what I was doing at Disney at the time.
0: And then you said, all right, I'm going to go Northwest to Southeast, back to the Northwest to the Midwest went to Kansas city. So you just, you found that middle point and you said, yeah, I'll, I'll stick here for a little while. <laughs> right, right. I'd been to both ends. So then, uh,
1: you know, might as well just see what, what's going on in the middle there. Yeah, right. So um, I, I spent six seasons with the Seahawks, primarily at the stadium, um, ended up in charge of all the front of house operations there and public affairs for the stadium and, and a few other things. And, you know, we launched Sounders FC during that time. And that was a, a big accomplishment and, First two years with the Seahawks, we won the division. Second season, you know, we went to the Super Bowl, and so I thought this is great. You know, this sports thing is amazing. You know, you get to go to the Super Bowl every year, to win your division every year, and um, you know, it's cyclical. So you learn that real quick as well. But luckily, we've had some sustained success at the Seahawks. Um, but yeah, then in uh, 2010, the Kansas City Chiefs called, and uh, so then an opening for vice president of stadium operations and. Uh, I'd never been to Kansas City before and I think I had some real pre- preconceived notions about what it was and what it was like and uh, you know they keep, they have a real nice well kept secret there that's a it, it's we fell in love with the city instantly it, and the team and you know the Hunt family and, and Mark Donovan who's the president there at the Chiefs um, had a real vision for where they wanted that club to go and you've seen that over the last few years with the Super Bowl win and all the success they've had so that was a great opportunity. I spent five years there with the Chiefs um, in in starting out overseeing the stadium and as Arrowhead came out of a $375 million renovation and got the great experience of reopening that building uh, to the public and and introducing Kansas City to a new modern stadium uh, and then gained some other responsibilities along the way and in about 2014, end of 2014, early 2015, after we were done playing that season, uh, the, the Seahawks, I was fortunate enough for the Seahawks to, to come back and, and say, hey, do you wanna, do you wanna come home? And uh, uh, I'll be honest, it was a decision because we love Kansas City so much, but you, you can't pass up the opportunity to come home. And so that's when we came back. So like I say, we've been at both corners in the middle and now we're back here, right where we started in the Northwest.
0: Amazing. Well, what's unique about your journey is that you spent six years at the Seahawks and then now you've already surpassed that six years with your second stint. and it's what's interesting is like not many people go back a second time. Um, there's a couple of lessons learned that I want to get from you on that of of you know how do you leave a place, right? even though you've been there for a while? Um, how do you also kind of keep that door open, right to eventually go back? and what's the you know, some people have to leave to move up to then, you know, come back and, and those types of situations. So what did you learn from that experience of, you know, being there for a while and then making that decision to go? You know, you hit on it
1: is in our business, um, you, you have to be prepared to move and leave. Right. You know, there's 32 NFL teams, similar numbers of teams in the other major leagues, and it's a pretty small business. So in order to uh, gain experience, you do have to leave. Now, there's some outliers within the Seahawks. We've got I'm I'm the junior member of the senior management team with 18 NFL seasons under my belt. Um, And there's a lot of folks that have been there. I mean, Chuck Arnold, our president, uh, you know, started out as an intern and has been there his entire career. But that's sort of an outlier in some senses that you know, we understand you, you, you do move around a little bit, but it, it's about you know, keeping those doors open, saying yes to those opportunities and preserving those relationships. And it's that way in any business, but particularly in sports where you know, our business is pretty small, um, if you think about it. You know, we're, we're huge brands, but really small companies with you know, 100 to 200 employees on the business side for the most part and, and a lot of the major sports teams anyway. Um, so it is a pretty small business and it's, it's keeping those doors open and just treating people right and uh, staying in contact with people and you never know where you're going to end up and I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to come home and here we are.
0: And typically, and I say typically, it, it happens depending on where you are, people will leave, they'll get a bigger job, they'll take people with them from the prior place, right? And then maybe sometimes they go back. So what was that experience like for you? Did you bring anyone with you? Did you bring anyone back with you? (laughs) Um, No, not, you know, it's funny.
1: I brought some folks over from Disney, um, but I I haven't brought people uh, crossed over between the teams actually. Um, Kansas City is a fun place because uh, what we discovered is people take such pride in that place and they don't wanna leave. Uh, And it was tough for us to leave even though I'm a Northwest native. Um, I did bring a, a couple people up to the Chiefs from Disney um, had some folks out here that I worked with at Disney that did some consulting with us. Um, so, yeah, it is really much, uh, very much about who you know and bringing some folks with you. And, um, but uh, yeah, there, and the folks I brought to Disney are still there at the Chiefs uh, to this day, helping out with the stadium and doing some great things there
0: you get to the C-suite and, and look, titles are titles, right? It's, it's at the end of the day, you've got your, your people underneath you, you've got your responsibilities, you've got a job to get done. When you think about what's most challenging about leading a team and being uh, in, an, in the executive role, what's the most challenging part of the job? I think there's a, I'm, I'm gonna
1: give you two answers here. You know, When you first end up into executive management, I think the first thing is understanding where where your role is and how to lead in that in that position and that's where even as you progress through your career um understanding what changes at each level and what changes at each each stop on your career and each stop on the rung on, on your progression ladder which is a, a phrase i've heard used on your podcast a few times right you are mark uh-huh. uh so i uh I think that's a that's a big one. Is is as you transition, understanding how to lift yourself up and empower others to do their job. Um, and the thing that's going to tie my two answers together is people. That's that's you know the biggest challenge and also the biggest responsibility of being in a role like mine is to lift yourself out of um, you know making getting too far into the weeds and and making sure that you empower the right people to do their jobs and set the tone in the right way, you know, and set the framework to, uh, you know, to always continually compete, which is something we talk about all the time at the Seahawks, uh, and always, uh, do what's right, uh, and do what's right for the guests and do what's right for our fans.
0: When you think about, you know, empowering, you know, individuals right across the team, it's not an easy thing to do, right? Probably easier said than done. But when you think about empowering, what have you learned from your other colleagues, your other mentors, whatever it might be about empowering people.
1: Uh, I've always been told that you put good people in position and you let them do their jobs. Uh, and, and, you know, you put guardrails up uh, to uh, and ask the right questions. That's I think the biggest thing I've learned, you know, uh, learned a lot when I was in Kansas city and learned a lot from, from Mark Donovan. But one of the things, biggest things I learned from him was asking the right questions. Um, and, and, here at the Seahawks as well, you, you see that from ownership, and you see it from folks in, in positions like that, that it's, it's more, uh, less about directing and telling how to do something, and more about asking questions that get your folks to understand that you know, you know the business, you know what they're, and, and asking the right questions to spot check and understand where they're at in their process. Um, and get them to think about things in a little bit different way. Hey, have you thought about it this way? Um, so that's, that's something that I've learned along the way. And I think what's really important is you know, the power of, of asking questions, one being inquisitive, using a critical voice, um, uh, and not to criticize, but to look at things critically, right, from all angles, um, and asking the questions that maybe your staff didn't think through if they're too deep into the weeds on a a project or too close to it and giving people a little different perspective.
0: You mentioned it at the beginning in relation to, you know, not many COOs come through the operations side, right? They're usually revenue focused and look, every organization does it a little bit differently with titles and CROs and chief business officers and this, that, and the other, but, you have your niche, right? Like your niche and your lane is that operations world and you do it really, really well. And then as you mentioned, you had to learn the revenue side. So how do you go about matriculating in an organization where you've got your niche, you're kind of the expert in that field, but then you got to figure out how to learn from other people about the other sides and, and connect the dots for yourself.
1: You know, I had a couple of really good opportunities along the way that helped to connect those dots on the revenue side. Um, certainly my background at Disney, it was strictly operations and I loved it. It was so much fun right? Uh, being in the parks every single day. Um, when I got to the Chiefs, so you know, I saw the revenue side and as I was coming up through my first stint with the Seahawks, um, just taking every opportunity to soak up as much information as possible and, and saying yes to opportunities when they come along, being prepared to take those opportunities on, but saying yes to them as they came along, And not just putting blinders on to things that weren't in my area of purview. And it doesn't mean getting out of my lane and, and, you know, overstepping my bounds, but going and talking to the revenue folks, going and talking to the food and beverage people when that wasn't under my area of responsibility and understanding what their business is. It's all interrelated. And as much as you can learn, as as broad of a base of knowledge as you can create, the better off you're going to be, whether you're trying to get to the C-suite or you're just trying to excel in the role that you're in. Um, so I did that through my first stint with the Seahawks when I was at Disney. And then when I got to the Chiefs being, you know, effectively the, the senior executive over all of Arrowhead Stadium, I was charged with building up uh, a non-sports event business there. And I had, I had operated the front of house side of that, uh, you know, the handoff from sales at the Seahawks. And again, because I took the time to make, build the relationships with the sales individuals, Understood what what it took to build that business, and we we built that into a multi million dollar business over the course of just a couple of years. At, at the Chiefs, um, didn't didn't hurt we had a brand new beautiful building to sell as well. Uh, and then coming back to the Seahawks, um, in that opportunity again, it was a unique situation where in Seattle we uh, the Seahawks manage Lumen Field, but we also have an attached event center, Lumen Field Event Center, and a theater, a music theater. So uh, we've got about half a million square feet of event space. It's the largest and busiest event venue in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, so there's obviously huge revenue opportunities there as well. And that gave me an opportunity effectively as the 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 chief executive of that business, you know, taking on that responsible P&L responsibility for that business to um, to really grow in how you build revenue and how you have to be responsible for a business. And so um, one of the things that I'm most proud of is how we, we shifted our focus there away from smaller, uh, smaller events to fill the calendar into higher revenue events that maybe don't fill the full calendar, but you're doing less work for higher revenue. And we shifted into a music strategy and went from nine concerts a year in our WAMU theater to 50 concerts a year in the WAMU theater, uh, which is obviously a very significant increase uh, over that time. So, um, that was a big focus of mine. And I knew it was a blind spot and I knew it was something I needed to get stronger in. And so now it allowed me to then progress into the world that I'm in now where I have a little more broader oversight on, on the club as well.
0: Let's talk about that non-sports events business, right? Cause it's, you're seeing it across the board, whether it's uh, pro sports or even college sports starting to you know, dip into it a little bit uh, based on the university and so on and so forth. When you think about that business as a whole, uh, you know, you, you had come to our, our class at Seattle U and you, you had mentioned it was like 10% of the revenue uh, comes from the games, right? The NFL games on Sundays. 10, 10% of the event activity. Event activity. just from the games. Yeah. So if you take a
1: look at the number of events through the year at Lumen Field, it's really only 10, some years 20-ish between there uh, of the event days are dedicated to sports, um, it, it's a little, it, it actually a quite bigger proportion of revenue, but if you just strictly look at event days and what people are focused on day to day, it's only about 10, maybe 20% on a, on a low year on non-event sports. The rest of the time is our non-sports events that we do.
0: So when you, when you look at the full calendar, right. And you mentioned it, right. Trying to have more, more events that drive, bigger revenue dollars for that event but still less events so you're not working 365 days a year you are still inherently but again a little bit more focused and efficient when you think about those events and what's succeeding uh, in your area again culture probably dictates a little bit from an event perspective of what makes the most sense but what are you seeing trend-wise from an events perspective of what's working uh, and what's continuing to grow and so on music for sure And especially coming out of the pandemic,
1: uh, people are looking for places to gather and especially over this last year and looking to get back to some normalcy. And we're seeing pent up demand on the artist side, the promoter side for touring. Um, We have more dates and more requests for dates in our theater than, than we can accommodate at this point. And then you're seeing sales really come through also on the consumer side with selling out shows, strong sales for shows, record per capita spend on food and beverage and merchandise when people come into those shows. So that's a real big and strong part of the business right now is is in music. And a big reason why we optimized the Wambu Theater to accommodate that a few years ago. And I'm glad that we did now coming out of the pandemic. Uh, You know, next year we have three concerts at the stadium this year. uh, we're, We're gonna finish up our series with the weekend at the end of the month this month. And then uh, it's looking real strong again next year. Um, hoping for three, and maybe even more than three stadium shows next year. Our our stadium concert season's a little narrow here in Seattle. It's it's a it's a tight window. When it doesn't rain, we have great weather. So <laughs> hopefully we'll get well, we can fit a few more than three into that window. Um, but that and then corporate events as well. You know, if, if you take a look at you know what I talked about earlier with looking at fewer event days but higher revenue per event day corporate events are, are really uh, fit right nicely into that philosophy. Um, and typically those events will have uh, event professional event planners take a lot of the workload off of your staff as well. Um, and uh, they're you know, great on the food and beverage revenue as well. So between corporate, uh, which are coming back, those were some of the last events to come back out of the pandemic. We're starting to see that come back as well as our non-event revenue, or excuse me, non-sports event revenue. Um, and music events as well.
0: Is there an element of, of trying to do too much in the event space, as opposed to just kind of sticking to, hey, keep it simple, right? Here's, you know, here's kind of your template, right? For the event that's typically successful and not try and do too much or think too far outside the box.
1: Yeah, you can really get out ahead of yourself on that. And when we, you know, going back 20 years ago, almost 20 years ago, when I started uh, my first stint at the Seahawks, uh, the mandate was just book the building. And, you know, to the extent that each individual event was profitable, great, um, but you didn't necessarily take a look at the full p and as that rolled up, you know, into the larger overall PL. Um, now that's not the case. And we've we really had to take a good hard look at how, you know, event workload impacts overhead, impacts you know your your uh, full-time headcount, uh, wear and tear on the building, and take all of that into account when you're taking a look at what types of events you book and what that, that overall load is on the building that you want to book in there. There's also, I think, some intangible benefits to booking um, a robust calendar of events on your building in that you keep your staff fresh, right? So if you're just doing 41 hockey games or basketball games, which there is some consistency there, but in, in our business where you have 10 games a year, if that's all you're doing, by the time you hit game seven, eight, nine, you're really hitting your stride. And then game 10, the season's over. Unless, you know, hopefully you'll go to the playoffs and have a play home playoff game or two. You win a Super Bowl every year, right? And win a Super Bowl every year. Exactly, exactly uh but then you've got to start all over next year so booking those events having other sports tenants you know where Lumen Field is is the home to Seattle Sounders FC the oil and Rain uh XFL just announced uh, that Seattle will be getting a franchise again so we're going to have four sports teams there having that consistency helps to offset or helps the the, the service delivery right cuz you get the consistency in your staff you get the consistency in uh, your facility staff and, uh, and and it only helps with your main product, um, and in our case, that being the Seahawks. Um, although all three of those, all four of those teams are
0: primary tenants of the facility. They're all the main product. They're all the main product. But absolutely, absolutely. When, I just happen oh, to work for the Seahawks, so. There you go, there you go. Last question for you before we get to some rapid fire, if you were to put yourself back in your shoes kind of starting at Disney, what would you tell someone that's getting into the business about, hey, This is, these are the couple opportunities you might want to look at within operations to get your foot in the door.
1: Uh, I, I would say first and foremost to make yourself as well-rounded as possible, you know, um, going back to the extreme basics, um, being available at this point for internships, that's how I got my foot in the door at Disney. I did two internships there and ended up making connections that, um, got me back into a full-time role. And the full-time role that I accepted was, was an hourly position, actually. I was giving tours and um, uh, working at guest relations. And so I wore a peach plaid vest and, uh, you know, stood behind a desk, and, which was great because you learn about uh, solving problems from people from all over the world. But the point is, you know, especially starting out, you, you've got to have your eyes on where you want to go, otherwise you're never going to get there. But understand that there's a path to get there and be willing to do what you need to do in order to get there and and some of that's taking internships, some of it might be you know taking a job that you might think isn't quite up to the level that you think you should be at at that point, but it's all about building that foundation, building that experience and it will come eventually and just you know saying yes to things and every Every opportunity that comes by, being available for those opportunities, um, making yourself prepared, knowing that you're always on an interview. That was a piece of advice that I got early on, um, at Disney from, from a leader at the Magic Kingdom park, actually, uh, who, and she, she took me aside and just said, Hey, David, don't, don't forget. You're always on an interview. Everything that you're doing, people are watching. You could be encountering someone that's going to give you your next job. Uh, or just encountering someone that's going to know your reputation. So always know that you're building that reputation. You're always on an interview. And I, that was really important advice. You
0: never know who you're going to meet. And you never know what kind of first impression you can make on somebody. So uh, love the advice, David. All right, rapid fire here. A couple of questions for you. All right, I'm ready. Best stadium food? Oh,
1: that's a tough one. Uh, you know, we've, we have diversified our food so much over the last few years. Um, I'll tell you that the best stadium food, so I've got two, I'm gonna pick traditional one, the Seattle dog. We sell that out of all of our hot dog stands. And if for for those of of your audience and yourself don't know what that is, it's a very uniquely Seattle thing. It's a hot dog with uh, caramelized onions and cream cheese on the hot dog. It's the most amazing thing. It's even more amazing at 2 a.m but it's pretty darn good during a football game as well. Um, But we also have this uh, partnership with the local neighborhoods, Lumen Field's right in the middle of downtown. We've got two historic neighborhoods adjacent and an industrial district beneath us there. Um, But we have some great restaurants from Pioneer Square and the Chinatown International District. So I love going uh, we've got a little thai, thai restaurant that comes in and makes the best pad Thai. Um, we've also got Manu's Tacos, who makes great street tacos. And it's really authentic, small business in this little area that we call the uh, international market.
0: We're going to stick with the food-ish topic. Okay. I love Best food-ish. cup of coffee in Seattle. Like, I had to ask that, right?
1: Right. I think we are the only stadium that has a, a Starbucks inside our press box. So when visiting press come, they always remark on, on the fact that we've got a, a Starbucks cart and a barista slinging free, free lattes inside our press box. Um, but for us, that just kind of seems natural. you know. Uh, there's Starbucks in every corner. Like in my small town down here, there's three Starbucks right across the street from one another, and, and this is a pretty small town uh, that I live in in the suburbs of Seattle. Um, but yeah, you can't go wrong with Starbucks, but there's so many other great coffee shops. It's hard to pick just one. Just, uh, you know, for me, it's just just the good stuff. Straight shot, double espresso, no milk, no sugar, just straight to the point.
0: So if you're listening, if you ever get to meet David, you might just bring him that double shot espresso when he's, <laughs> when he's expecting it. Um, last one for you. When you go to Pike's Peak Market, what are you getting? Wow, the last time I was there,
1: uh, we actually we bought some plants. You know, the great thing about the market is is just how diverse it is. You know, on the on the on TV, you see the real fun stuff, the throwing the fish, and that's really cool. And there's always a big crowd there to watch that. Um, but you can buy anything there. I mean, there's anything and everything on two or three different levels of. Uh, of shops, um, so everything from gourmet food to, uh, you know, a scarf to artwork, uh, but we bought these really cool plants there. They're bald roots and they, they aren't pl- planted and, or potted, I should say, uh, so that was the last thing we bought there, but I would recommend any of the seafood, and especially if you're out of town, they'll ship it straight back to your hotel or ship it right to wherever you live in the world, um, and it doesn't get much fresher than seafood here in Seattle.
0: All right. I lied. Last, last one. Okay. All right. Favorite ride at the park.
1: Oh, wow. So um, when I was, when I worked there and it was a while ago and I'm not going to, I'm not going to say how long ago, but let's just say it was a while ago. Uh, it was the twilight zone tower of terror. Love that ride. And when I first started at Disney, we did an orientation and part of that was actually touring the back of house of that ride and In the lobby, there is so much detail that no one would ever see the it's a hotel theme right so you're in the hotel lobby in behind the desk, there is a a set of mailboxes and each letter in those mailboxes is individually handwritten and addressed and stamped and canceled with the date from I believe it's 1939. No one's ever going to see that, but you pull those letters out and that detail is in there and so. For that reason, and because I was a huge Twilight Zone fan uh, when I was a kid, loved that show. Um, and, you know, who doesn't love getting, you know, tossed up and down a few times? Uh, I, I love that ride. That's my favorite. They just opened a ride, the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, ride. It's a roller coaster. Um, there's there's not many that, you know, after my, all my years down there that make me, you know, grin ear to ear every time I go on it. But that's one of them. It was, it, it's amazing. Highly recommend
0: it. Guardians of the Galaxy. Love it. Uh, well, David, really appreciate all the insights, the advice, uh, the thoughts and perspectives. Uh, appreciate your time on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suji Organic. We'll have you on again. Uh, best of luck with the upcoming football season.
1: Thanks, Jake. Really appreciate it. Been a good time. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Thanks for listening to the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And remember, if you like this episode or you like the Life in the Front Office podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Really appreciate you tuning in and stay tuned for the next one.